Okay, we're in Lesson 6, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12. through 12. We're still going to talk about the new birth and the reflection of the new birth in our conduct. Now, we just went through our conduct with reference to three main areas with regards to society, and that was, number one, our citizenship. The second one had to do with slavery, which I think the more application for us is our employment. And then the third one was with reference to spousal relationship uh, between a husband and a wife. Now we're going to talk about just our conduct in general, specifically our conduct towards each other. Our conduct towards each, uh, each other. So let's look at chapter 3. We're looking at verses 8 through 12. We're going to look at these five verses and spend all of our time today talking about these five verses. So notice with me. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life, and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Okay, so we're going to look, first of all, he's going to give us a command. And what I want you to see here is he first of all directs this command to every believer. So what he's about to talk about here in this passage is for every one of us, not just a select few, not just for certain individuals that it seems to fit for, but rather it's for all of us. So what we want to see is, is that what we're going to look at here is for every one of us. Now, because here's the thing, you could have looked back at the last section and said, well, you know, I'm not married, this doesn't apply to me or I'm not a slave, it doesn't apply to me. That's, that's this, he's, what he's about to show us here is in this part right here, it's for every one of us. So, for, so finally, for all of you. Now here's the command. Peter commands all believers to live in harmony with each other. Peter, Peter commands all believers to live in harmony with each other. Notice what he says in verse 8 there. He says, be of one mind. So we're talking about harmony. You and I are to live in harmony with each other. All right? So he's commanding everyone here to live in harmony with each other. Now, is that easy? No, it isn't. Now, the key to it, remember now, I've told you in all of these passages, the key to, to fulfilling these commands is that I need to be what? Selfless. I can't be selfish. I can't think that I'm more important than anybody else or that I've got a greater perspective or that I'm right. So, for instance, let's take the issue of politics. Do you think we could live with each other harmoniously in this church if our focus was on politics? Not at all. There'd be big disagreements, even if you were from the same party. Even if you were from the same party. And the fact is, not everybody's from the same party in here. And think about this. When I pastored in Canada, think about pastoring a church... I pastored in Canada. See, United States, we basically have two parties. We have the Democrats and Republicans. When I pastored in Canada, I pastored a church with people from six different political parties. Think about that. Six different political parties. 
So you learn real quick when you're in a church. And I'm, I, actually, I'm glad I went there because you re- learn realize real quick that politics has no place in the church. That's not the basis of our harmony. The basis of our harmony is what? Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. There is one Lord, one baptism. Our unity is in Christ, not in our political beliefs. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for that? So he's commanding all of us here to live in harmony. Now, the basis of our harmony is what? Jesus. The basis for our harmony is Jesus. So he's commanding all of us to live in harmony with each other. Now, here's what else he's saying. We are to live in harmony by having sympathetic compassion towards each other. Here's the basis for harmony. And again, remember I told you, in order to fulfill these commands, you have got to be selfless, not selfish. The minute you become selfish, the focus is on who? On yourself. In order for these commands that he's talking about for a body of believers to come together to be fulfilled, is that you've got to turn the attention off of you and what you think needs to happen for you and how you feel and what your comfort levels are and begin to think in terms of other people and what their needs are. And so if, I'm, if there's going to be harmony in the church... You need to be thinking in terms of what others' needs are, period. In fact, some of you have been involved in, I guess for lack of a better word, church fights. How many of you have witnessed church fighting? At the center of church fighting, what's going on in a church fight? Everybody's seeking their own way. And, and really, the focus isn't on the greater whole. The focus is on who? Themselves. Who's right? I'm right. Therefore, I'm going to stand for what's right. Therefore, I'm going to do what I need to do because I'm right. And everybody else needs to recognize that I'm right. And so, when you see a lot of church fighting, you'll see a lot of folks who are rallying to what they think is right and what they think, notice what they think needs to happen. They think needs to happen. Because the focus isn't on the greater whole. The focus is on what? Themselves. See, so when you have that kind of thing going on, is there harmony? And notice he uses the word compassion. What's the definition of compassion? Anybody? Okay, putting yourself in someone else's shoes and really feeling for them, right? If I have compassion towards you, am I going to have a haughty spirit towards you? Am I going to stand in moral superiority over you? No, I'm going to relate to your pain and what? I'm actually going to feel for you. In fact, this is the next point I want you to see as we look at this whole issue of having compassion. It means a willingness and a responsiveness to share in one another's burdens. You need to be willing and responsive. But first of all, you need to be willing. You've got to be willing to want to be there for other people. And again, that's going to take selflessness. When you walk in the door, here, here's a good question. Are you here for yourself or are you here for other people? Because that's going to determine what your Sunday is going to be like. Are you here for yourself or are you here for other people? And so if you're here for yourself, you're going to walk in here with a willingness to say, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to be used of you today in somebody else's life. Now here's what we do. We have reduced ministry down. Let me just stop for a moment. We've reduced ministry down to a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, and a certain office. That's not ministry. Those are ministry positions, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about ministry and service. Ministry and service is you being there for other people. So, for instance, let's say Bruce is down today. Maybe he's heard that spring, spring training camp hasn't been going good for the Eagles and he's just down. 
Ministry and compassion is me recognizing he's not down and coming over here and putting an arm around him and saying, it's okay, man. It's okay. I'm there for you. Don't like him, but I'm there for you. That's a, that's a minor illustration of what I'm talking about, but, could, but it could be something bigger. Hey, I hear you're going through some really serious financial difficulties. If you need me, I'm there. In fact, it goes one step further. Responsiveness. It needs to be responsive to sharing another burden. See, it's got to go beyond, listen to me, it's got to go beyond just saying I'm willing to be there. It's got to go, you've got to be responsive and say, hey, I hear you're going through some difficulties. Here's, here's 20 or 40. Maybe that will help you out through right now. That's all I can do, but I'm, I'm there for you. You understand, you've got, to, you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you because that person who is in the body of Christ with you is important. You know what? We actually are robbed. So what are you talking about, George? It's a blessing to be in this, this kind of a country where we have freedom. But, we've, but th there's always an exchange. You exchange one blessing for another blessing. And as I think about our brothers and sisters in Christ who are situations where they are being persecuted literally for their faith and dying for their faith, their dynamic of church is so much different than our dynamic of church. Because when they come together in secret, and a lot of them do meet in secret, there is a genuine concern and a love that is expressed towards each other because they don't know that any of them will be there the next week. And so the genuineness of the compassion and the responsiveness to the needs of other believers is real in a country where you're being, you might be executed for your faith. But because we have a freedom, we've exchanged our freedom for worship, and that's fine, we can do that, but we have lost the whole dynamic of being there for each other. Literally. So much so, again, remember I said, we go through our minds of, you know, I want to help that person, Lord, but I've got this going on, and I'm saving for this, and I'm thinking about this, and this is my dreams, and this is what I want to do, but, and I can't be there for that person today, Lord. I, and in fact, we may even go be so bold as to say, Lord, I don't have time for this today. We're missing it, aren't we? See, he's commanding us to be willing and responsive to the needs of others, to bear their burdens. And believe me, you know, as a pastor, I, I'm aware of what happens a lot in people's lives. And let me just tell you, every week there's somebody walking in here, several people walking in here who are carrying burdens. Several people who are just wondering. Several people who maybe are even close to just giving it up. But the rest of us, we just come and we're here for who? ourselves. When the Holy Spirit is maybe speaking to us and saying, you know, so-and-so doesn't look happy today. Maybe you need to go over there and put an arm around them. Maybe you need to be there for them. Find out what's going on. And maybe even the Holy Spirit would take it one step further and say, you know, you need to lay your dream aside for a moment and the money that you've been saving up for something greater. You know, in the fireproof movie, how many of you watched the fireproof movie now, okay? Remember in the fireproof movie, the captain is saving his money for what? A boat. I mean, we're not talking no bass boat either, okay? I mean, he, I mean, the money he was saving up, he could have bought a nice bass boat and been happy. He was saving up for some kind of yacht thing. And in the midst of it, there right in his own marriage is his wife's family in need of what? Medical, medical bed and so forth. Finally, when the Lord gets a hold of his heart, he does what? He goes and takes care of it. But at first, he wasn't willing to give it up because his dream was what? Boat. See, you know, you've got to be careful. Maybe your dream is getting in the way of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what I'm saying? Maybe your ambitions of what you want. Oh, and you worked hard. And you deserve this. 
is getting in the way of the Holy Spirit allowing you to be ministering to somebody else. See, here's the difference. The difference is, where is your focus? Is it eternal focused or temporal focused? And if you're temporal focused, you're focused on now and making life comfortable for you now. If you're eternal focused, you're focused on later for the reward that will come later and the blessing of that reward later. See, that's the reality. He's calling us to be of one mind, to live in harmony with each other, and it means being willing to be responsive to carry one another's burden. You know what? You should enter into this place and be thinking, Lord, who can I minister to today? Who can I minister to today? See, you've got to enter into a place with a mindset that says, Lord, I am willing and I will be responsive to you to bear another person's burden. Because if your focus is on yourself, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to be miserable. You're just going to be flat out miserable. That's reality. That's reality. Let's go on. He's going to expand the command now. He's going to tell us exactly what does this command mean for you and I to bear one another's burdens, to, to be there for each other, to have compassion for each other. First of all, he talks about being the issue of compassionate. We are to express love towards each, should be each other, we are to express love towards each other. It should be other, not plural, S there. It's a typo. As brothers. We are to express love towards each other as brothers. At our, and let me add sisters too. If you want to add in there brothers and sisters. Because he's talking about brotherly love there. You're to view each other. And listen, this is because You know what? We live in western Pennsylvania. And one of the, excuse me, western central Pennsylvania. Because some of you folks view this as central PA. Here's what I want you to see. We live in this, and one of the things I've noticed, because I am an outsider, an outsider coming into this culture, and one of the things I've noticed is, is that you folks are very clannish. You understand what I mean by clannish? You, you tend to hang out, and your social life is focused around your what? Your clan, your family, whether it's immediate family or extended family, and the activities that you tend to do tend to be what? Gravitated towards what? Your family. In fact, I remember when I first came here, you know, I was telling people I was going to come visit them. They said, oh, don't bother. And they weren't being mean. It was a cultural thing. The culture was, the, what is it? My social circle is my family. I'll see you at church. And see, that's just the reality of what we have here. Now, here's what the Bible is commanding us to do. The Bible is commanding us to express love towards each other in here, as if, they, if, if, as if we were a brother or sister. So what, what the Bible's commanding you, if I can bring it down to an application that everybody under, it, it wants you to expand your clan. You know, you know what I mean? It wants you to expand your clan to not just those who immediately are family members to you, but to recognize you've got a spiritual family and you need to view it that way and, and, and think in terms of expressing love to your spiritual family. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to think in terms of, of, of it being a spiritual family. Alright? So, you've got to express love towards each other as brothers. Let's, let's go on. You need to be tender-hearted. What's he talking about here? We are, we are to be conscious of each other's needs. You need to be tender-hearted. You know, when you're hard-hearted, you don't care about anybody else. When your heart is, your heart is hardened, you're only focused on who? Yourself. And here's the kind of stuff you focus on. So-and-so did me wrong. They did me wrong. 
That's a hard-hearted person right there because they focus. And listen, critical spirit is a reflection of what? You've got to be careful about the critical spirit thing because it's a reflection of something. It's a reflection of your heart. And when you have a critical spirit, listen to me. When you have a, and I, I at one time suffered with this. When you have a critical spirit, your focus is going completely on self, and you are fault-finding everybody around you. Because number one, it makes you feel good because you think you're okay. And it's a reflection that your heart has hardened. So rather than, okay, let's, let me, let's say we have Joe Schmo sitting right here. Joe Schmo's going through some financial difficulties. He's caught in a cycle where he's constantly making bad decisions financially. But Joe Schmo's got a problem, and he needs some immediate help financially. Does that mean that Joe Schmo's going to learn how to handle finances through this crisis? No, not necessarily. But the issue is, he needs some help, and he's here. Here's one of the two responses that will happen. The hard-hearted person will look at him and say, hmm, you know what, if I wasted money like he did, I'd be having problems everything he's getting. I don't think we should help him out because we're not going to teach him anything. That's hard-heartedness. And are they wrong? No. Everything they said was right. Yeah, everything they said was right. But that's the attitude of Christ. In fact, just a moment. think about this if Jesus was as hard-hearted as that. See, the attitude of tender-heartedness is saying, you know, I know he didn't make some decisions, but I know he's really got to get through this, and I know, Lord, you want me to help him out, and I'll help him out, and maybe, Lord, you can help me to use, be used by him to help keep me through this. Well, so that's not going to teach him anything. Well, let me just say something to you. Aren't you glad that Jesus is tender-hearted, not hard-hearted? What if Jesus responded like the first critical person did to the issues in your life that you just can't seem to get over? What if his attitude is, boy, I see you're struggling with the same stuff over and over again, and yeah, you keep coming and asking me for forgiveness, but you know what? At some point here, you've got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just get on with it. Come on, get real. What if Jesus acted that way? Aren't you glad he doesn't? See, this is what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to have the same attitude as who? He does. See, everything that he's commanding us here. He's commanding us to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. We say, well, how do, how do I get that kind of attitude? Because my thoughts are just like that first guy. You know, he needs to pull his mouth and get real. You know what? You need to ask God to soften your heart. And you need to recognize. In fact, it was interesting. I think it was two Sundays, Sundays ago, two Sunday evenings ago in prayer meeting, an individual who was there made this comment, and I thought it was a really good comment, about how the Lord needs to take the plow the Lord's been taking a plow to some of our hearts and revealing things in our life, but the Lord needs to take the plow even further deeper and help us to understand that our salvation has nothing to do with us. It's completely of Jesus Christ and that I have no leg to stand on before him. And, when, and, and, and you know, she was right. And the reality is, is when you begin to understand that there is nothing in and of myself that deserves salvation, I deserve to go to hell, you begin to realize... Who am I to judge somebody else? And your heart starts to, to be tender. It starts to soften. I think the reason why we're hard-hearted is because we don't truly appreciate the salvation that we have. And see, and if I'm going to be tender-hearted, I'm going to be conscious of what's going on around me and people's needs. So, okay, so for instance, I'm going to be conscious. Hey, where's Tom today? She says to me, he's homesick. 
Homesick for what? No, homesick. He's homesick. You're going to be concerned. Where's Tom? So, I mean, you, you're going to be, and so you're going to have a lot of people asking now where Tom is. Okay? They're going to be expressing concern because I've used you for an illustration. But see, that's the point. You're going to be sensitive. Your heart is going to be sensitive to the needs of others around you. Are you doing okay today? You're not looking good today. How'd your week go? See, here's the thing. We're afraid to ask those kind of questions, aren't we? Because, number one, we don't want to hear it because we got our own stuff going on. And, number two, we're afraid of what, if we open that door, what are we opening the door to? But listen, if Jesus shows you something, he wants to use you in some capacity to reach out to that person's needs. And so you've got to be tender-hearted. You've got to be conscious of each other's needs. Let's, let's go on now. The next thing I want you to see there, here's what it means to be tender-hearted. It also means having a drive to meet those needs. Remember James? James talks about true religion. And he says, you know, he talks about the issue, show me your faith by your works. If you really believe what you're saying, show your works to, let me see your works to base it. He says, what, what kind of a thing is it? Okay, let's say, let's say Bruce is laying here destitute. He's just laying here. Let's say this is the street, you know, and he's really undergoing. And I walk by and say to Bruce, be blessed. Just walk on. What good is that? True religion is what James says, is that I help him out. And say, hey, Bruce, man, I see things are times are tough. Let's go to McDonald's, man. I don't have any money. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. And then I take him to McDonald's. I order him a McDouble. I get a double quarter pounder with cheese. Uh, making you hungry. Okay. All right. You know what I'm saying? I get him a double quarter. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't order the cheapest thing on the menu for him. I, I, I go the extra mile for him. And maybe slip him a 20 spot after he's done if I have one. I'll find one. You understand? See, it, it's, it's, the contenderness is not, it's being conscious. And oh, you can be conscious. You can look around and say, oh yeah, there's a lot of needs in here today. Hmm, yeah, a lot of needs. But it's going one step further. It's being driven to meet those needs. Lord, how can I help that person? How can I be there for that person? Listen, I'm going to tell you. When you start acting that way, when you start thinking in terms of that, your focus is going to be off yourself. You're not going to be miserable. You're going to be blessed because you were there for somebody else. It's not about you. Man, write that down. It's not about you. It's not about you. The reason why some of you are so miserable is because it's about you. Period. And it isn't. never has been. He's also telling us to be courteous and to have humility. It means having an honest estimate of self before God and each other. One of the things we do is, to be honest with you, and it's a natural, is we think too highly of ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves. I, you know, I have talked to people who have been in the ditch of life, and I'll be honest with you, they express pride just as much as anybody else. And their pride is, is we haven't done things like this. We haven't done things like that. Man, some of the stuff you're doing is, wow. You know, but they don't see it. They're, they think they haven't reached the bottom. There's still pride there. And see, if you're going to be humble, the issue is you've got to have an honest estimate of yourself. You've got to quit looking at it. And here's what we do. We compare ourselves. We're, you know what? We're like the Pharisee in the Scripture when Jesus says the Pharisee went up to the temple. Two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee looked and said, Lord, I'm doing all these great things for you. 
I tithe this, I do all that. And you know what? I am not like that guy behind me. And the guy behind him doesn't even look up. He says, Lord, have mercy on a sinner like me. And Jesus said, which of the two was righteous? Which one? The sinner. See, we've got to have an honest estimate of ourselves. We've got to, can I get, I'll be honest with you, we've got to get off our purchase. There is no reason for any of us to be thinking so highly of ourselves that we think that we're it, we've arrived. And here's what we do. We will compare ourselves. We'll compare ourselves. We'll start thinking in terms of, well, you know, I'm doing okay because I haven't done the stuff that they've done. or I haven't done the stuff that he's done. And I'm not like that person who's walking down the street with orange hair. Or, or I'm not like that guy that's walking around in Walmart that's got tattoos all over his head or whatever, you know. And I'm not like that. I'm not like that guy who's got a nose ring and he's missing part of his nose because he's got it expanded. And I can see his nasal sinus passages as I look up there. You know, I'm, you, know you, you start thinking in terms of, I'm, I'm okay because I'm not like those guys. You know what? You start thinking that way, you've got a problem. And it's called pride. And it's the chief of sins. Pride is the chief of sins. And if I'm going to be humble, I've got to have an honest estimate of myself. Lord, I am, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. Lord, I'm struggling with the same old stuff over and over again. Lord, my heart is so wicked, it even tells me I'm okay and I know I'm not. And Lord, I know I'm egotistical. And I'm this, that, or another. And when I'm around people, it's all about me, Lord. It's not about them. And you've got to, be, you've got to take an honest estimate of yourselves. We don't like to do that, do we? Because when we do that, we become like Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, woe is me. Because I'm a man of unclean lips who dwells in the midst of the people of unclean lips. That's reality. That's reality. Now, here's the other thing I want you to see there. We are called to lay aside the natural urge to retaliate. This is, you know, we, 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 are, we learn, we're so competitive, and it's in our nature as Americans. You do me wrong, it's not a question of whether or not I'll get back at you, it's just a question of when. Isn't that right? You do me wrong, it's not a question of whether or not I'll get back to you, it's a question of when and how. And I'll make you pay. Now, we may not express those attitudes out loud. Sometimes some people do. But we think them, or we don't think them. They're in our subconscious. And what Jesus is telling, what Peter is telling us, and of course he was with Jesus. Jesus said this many times over. You know, we got to lay aside our natural tendency to retaliate against people. And let me just stop. So what we're called to do is unnatural. Does everybody understand me? What we're called to do by not retaliating is unnatural. So, for instance, it's just natural. If there was a mosquito in here and it was buzzing around and it landed on my hand and started to suck out blood, my natural reaction is to retaliate and smash it. You know, why? Because it's just natural to swat it. It's completely unnatural to go, go away, little guy. You know, that's unnatural. You'd be like, what's the matter with him? Kill that thing. You know, you know, if that, it's unnatural. You've got to retaliate. Now, here's the thing. Instead, we are called to bless those who hurt us. Ooh, I don't understand that one. How many of you have a copy of the Fox's Book of Martyrs in your home? Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a classic book. It's about three or four hundred years old. There are some updated versions of it that you can get that 
have more modern day stories, but they're the stories of the martyrs. They're stories of those who have died for their faith. All the way from the beginning, you'll hear the stories of the apostles, all the way to now. Some of the modern editions have it. We have some here. If you want a copy, we'll let you read a copy. I'll even let you borrow a copy. It's very humbling to read those, because many of the times that you will read about the martyrs, and if they suffer at the hands of those who are persecuting them, one of the key characteristics that you will always see with the martyrs is this. They always bless those who kill them or persecute them. In fact, their attitude is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, it's the attitude of Christ. So, you and I are to bless those who hurt us. Now, you say, really? Man, that's got to be hard. Listen, bless them. You're releasing them into the hands of the ultimate judge. Period. See, here's the thing. You've got to have a different perspective. We think so much in terms of the way the world thinks. We've got to think in terms of the way the Bible thinks. Because the way the Bible thinks is, is that if a person doesn't know Jesus, of course he's going to persecute you. He doesn't know Jesus. You've got to pray for that person to come to know Jesus. Jesus calls us to almost an otherworldliness, doesn't he? But see, it's the Spirit who enables you to do it. The Spirit who enables you to do it. Instead, we are called to bless those who hurt us. Here's the other thing. We've been called to this and recognize our future blessing. Here's what I want you to see. What does he mean by this, we've been called to this? Look with me at verse 9. Here's what I want you to see. Not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that you and I were called to a path of suffering. This is the thing that North American Christians cannot grasp. You and I were called to suffer for Jesus. Thinking is because we live, we have rights, and we even had a, there was a time when there was a sense of respectability with being a Christian, but that's no longer true anymore. You're watching it unfold on your TVs every day. And, and, and don't be shocked by it. And our natural tendency is to react. We've got to fight this. We've got we to bring it back to the way. No, 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 no. You don't understand. The culture is going to move whether you fight it or not. You need to re- recognize that this is what you were called to. In fact, let me, let me ask you a question. This has to do with the person of God. Is God a respecter of persons? Does he show partiality? among his children? Why is it that North Americans are the only part of God's family that's exempt from persecution, suffering for the faith? Are we exempt? No, we're not. We think we are. Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously. In fact, we react when it happens. Why are you doing this to me, Lord? Why is this happening? See, no, no, you've you got to recognize we, we were called to this. In fact, next week we're going to talk about suffering because starting in verse 13, he's going to talk about that our life is marked by suffering. See, we've been influenced by the TV preachers who talk about God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Whether you realize it or not, you may flat out reject their teaching, but you've been influenced by some of their thinking. Their theology is an American-based theology. 
It comes out of our materialism of our culture. It's interpreting the Bible out of the materialism of our culture. And we've been, we have been influenced by that. And the reality is, is our path is a path of suffering. That's been true for thousands of years. In fact, what do we used to say? The blood of the martyrs are the what? Seeds of the church. Isn't that interesting? We've been called to this, and we need to recognize our future blessing. Let's go on. Here's the explanation. Verse 10. This is directed to God's people as they enjoy this earthly life. So he's going to tell us something here in verse 10. Look with me. He's giving a section of verses here. Different psalms are quoted. And he wants to direct what he's saying here to you and I as we enjoy this earthly life. So he's going to talk about our conduct here. First of all, he talks about our tongue. We are to control our speech and stop lying. We're to control our speech and stop lying. Listen, can I be honest with you? There is an assumption in the Bible that you are a liar. What do you mean by that? Because continually over and over in every one of the epistles, in every one of the books, it talks about the fact that God's people are liars and they need to stop lying. Period. Now here's what we do. We, because we categorize lies, we'll say, well, I'm not, I'm not a liar. I don't lie. I keep my word. Yeah, but do you tell white ones? Do you tell people, tell them I'm not here, I'm doing something else. It's like the guy who, you know, he said to his wife, call in sick for me. And uh, he went to the freezer, grabbed a pack of chicken, went in bed and started throwing up the chicken in the air. And the boss said, what's wrong with him? You know, he's laying in bed throwing up chicken. That's lying. Don't try that, okay? All right? Don't try that. But do you, do you see what I'm saying? We've got to stop our lying. Control our speech. I Listen, I here, can I be honest with you? The first place you control your speech is at home. And that goes for every one of us, including myself. We treat each other at home differently than we treat people on the streets. And we say things at home that we would never say to somebody on the street. First place to start is at home. How we treat each other. So we need to control our tongue, stop our lying. Let's go on. Here's what he's saying concerning our actions. We're, we are to pursue good in peace rather than evil. You need to pursue good in peace rather than evil. You know, the issue is, is you and I are pursuing evil. And you say, I don't know that I agree with that. Listen, sin is evil. If you're pursuing sin in your life, you're pursuing evil. If there's an issue of sin in your life, you're pursuing it. That's evil. You need to lay that aside and begin to pursue what's good and pursue peace in your life. Okay, here's a guiding principle. The Lord is aware of everything that happens in believers' lives. Now, you've got to mark a star by this one. He is aware of everything 
Nothing goes on in your life that is oblivious to Him. He's there. You think you're alone, but you're not. He's there. He's aware. Nobody else may know, but He's there. Let's go on. And here's what I want you to see. Here's the point. The Lord is against those who do evil. He's against those who do evil. So we see the exhortation there. You and I have a standard by which we are to live. We're to be there for each other, and we're to live our lives in such a way that reflects the glory of Christ in our life. Next week, we're going to start... We're going to get into... Chapter 3, verse 13 through 22, and then into chapter 4. And we're going to look at the whole issue of suffering for two weeks. It's our lot in life. Here, let me just go ahead and say this to you. There is an assumption in the Bible. The assumption in the Bible is life is tough, and you're going to suffer. Period. It doesn't assume that everything's going to be well. And we need to understand that. Let's close our time in prayer.